to me, it was the right fit, you know, against the New York Giants. Like, this is, this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. We play in New Jersey, man, so there's going to be some chippiness, there's going to be some griminess, but we're leaving it within the line, and I'll take a team like that. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am your host, Art Stapleton, and it's here, draft week. We are uh, roughly, as I'm recording this, I'd say about 74 hours away from the draft in Las Vegas, and we will be in East Rutherford at the Giants facility it's back to pre-COVID standards and setup, and we are in the media workroom on draft night. We'll have access to Giants personnel and then the prospects via, I assume, conference call, but it may be Zoom from Las Vegas, especially those in the first round, assuming the pick that the Giants make at 5 and 7, if they make those picks, will be in Las Vegas or from their homes across the country. On today's show, back by popular demand, Peter Schrager, Fox Sports, and of course, as we all know him, NFL Network's Good Morning Football. Schrager was outstanding back in January when the Giants were just starting their general manager search and their head coaching search. It was the highest downloaded show that we've had. Peter and I talked about that briefly uh, when we kicked off our interview. Talked to Peter a, a little earlier before I'm recording this. His schedule is jam-packed this week. He's on his way to Vegas tomorrow on Tuesday, so he'll be in Las Vegas reporting live on site for Good Morning Football all week, and then he's part of the NFL's NFL Network's draft coverage. So before I get to the interview with Peter, and I don't want to delay too long, but wanted to talk about the, really the buzziest story about the Giants over the weekend, and that is regarding Kadarius Tony, last year's first round pick, and I'll lead with a quote here. From Joe Shane at the Combine on March 1st, quote, I don't think Kadarius is a tradable piece. Again, if somebody calls, we're going to listen. But he's a good young player that our coaches really like. We've been in constant contact with him, and we're excited to see what he can do. Now, this was triggered on Friday night that there was a report from Pat Leonard of the Daily News that the Giants were shopping Tony. Then... Really, it went viral in terms of speculation, which teams were the best trade fits for Tony and uh, why the Giants were moving beyond him and questions of off-the-field stuff last year not being dedicated to the playbook and injury questions and all that stuff. Well, the reality is Monday morning, the Phase 2 part of the Giants' offseason program began, and lo and behold, who is in the building for the Giants for the voluntary workouts? Yes, Kadarius Tony. So all of the speculation over the weekend about the Giants and potentially trading Kadarius Tony, well, he shows up, walks in the door, and the Giants actually released a photo later on Monday of Kadarius Tony in the weight room with the rest of his teammates. So what do I make of all of this? 
Well, it seems to be a lot of semantics in this in our league that we cover. And there's this idea that there's a difference between taking calls and making calls. And depending on the word usage, it gives off a different vibe. If you say the Giants are making calls to test the market about Kadarius Tony, it gives you off the perception that they are going to trade Kadarius Tony. If you say that they are taking calls, which is what that quote I read to, I read on air to from Joe Shane, if they are taking calls on anyone on the roster, well, that usually means they're open for whatever possibilities that are out there. And I think the Giants are in the latter. I don't think they're aggressively shopping Kadarius Tony, but Tony's absence for the voluntary offseason program to this point, it certainly cast a different light on his immediate future. Suggesting that it did not would be disingenuous. He didn't get the playbook until Monday when he showed up at the practice facility. His teammates were all working. You take in what Kenny Galladay said last week in terms of wanting to be here and thinking that it said something about how much this means to him by Galladay being in, in attendance. So players know, perceptions are created. Ultimately, does it mean that Kadarius Toney is never going to be a productive giant because he missed three weeks of the offseason program? No, that, that, that's not the case here. But I think what we should take from all of this is that the Giants have realized that no player on this roster is safe, quote-unquote, and it's not a threat, that's just a reality. And I think that the Giants need to be able to deal with creativity, creative solutions to solve this roster. So it's entirely possible that the Giants looked at the wide receiver class through their evaluation over the last two months and realized, you know what? If we can get a guy on day two that could fill that role that Tony plays, maybe even day three, he might not be the talent level of Tony, but if we can trade Tony and say, let's package him with James Bradbury to another team and maybe get a higher draft pick, and you get that other team to take the full salary of James Bradbury, we'll talk about James Bradbury with Schrager a little later, but that's the the kind of thing that Joe Shane owes it to this team to consider. And that goes for any player on the roster. There is no one on this roster, and even the Andrew Thomases and the Xavier McKinney's, guys who are young and up and coming, you can't say that they're untouchable. You have to consider everything because you're rebuilding it. And making a move like that might be a little bit controversial or stunning, could end up accelerating the process and getting you back to being a contender a lot quicker. So open to everything. I have no problem with Joe Shane being open to everything. There is obviously a fear of selling low, but Shane's job is to re rebuild this team. He can't worry about egg on his face because Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge drafted Kadarius Tony last year after making that trade. The bottom line is he gets to use that seventh overall pick that they got in return from that trade. Where Kadarius Tony fits really is up to Kadarius Tony at this point, and then he has to see how he grows and matures as a player. So 
Will Tony be traded? Quite honestly, I don't believe he will be. But is it possible? Well, as I joked on Twitter, and anyone who knows me being a Star Wars fan, I believe that only a Sith deals in absolutes. So there are no guarantees in anything. And the idea that the Giants did not sign Odell Beckham Jr. to trade him, well, we all know that's a phrase that is painted on the wall of any questions regarding what Giants the Giants will do or they won't do. So that's where we're at with the Kadarius Tony thing. He's in the building. What does that mean? Well, we'll see when we move forward. But for now, the Giants' focus is on the NFL draft. And without further ado, let me get to today's guest. My conversation with Peter Schrager. It's a long one. I appreciate Peter's time as always. But I think you got a lot of great nuggets. So enjoy. And joining me now, back by popular demand, the one, the only, Peter Schrager, Good Morning Football, Fox Sports, and Mock Draft Extraordinaire. Uh, Peter, thanks for joining me. I know it's a busy week for you. Busy year for all of us, it seems like this draft is dragging on. But welcome to the show again, and great to have you back. I heard a rumor that our show before the coaching cycle um, hires is the number one downloaded show. I'm sorry, Victor Cruz and Eli Manning, but get out of our way. We are the combo art. That is 100% true, although I got to be honest, our friend Victor Cruz has yet to be on full, fully as a guest. Oh. He kind of he kind of appeared a little bit in the beginning of the season. But, uh, yep, Peter Schrager on the coaching and GM search blew uh Blew the audience out of the water, so we plan on doing exactly that and then some for this show. So appreciate you joining me. Like I said, you'll be in Vegas for NFL Network this week. Obviously, you're still on Good Morning Football, so makes for tiring times, but the phones have been burning. First off, let's start at, at the top uh, of the draft, and we all know how information flows this year. What's your sense, we're taping this on Monday, going into the draft, the idea of what the Jaguars are going to do, and where do you see the pressure point in the top 10 of this draft, and what's going to decide really how some of these chips fall? It's amazing how the pendulum goes, Art, because uh, a couple of weeks ago I heard they're not all that high on Hutchinson, and I thought, is that a smoke screen or not, because everyone's had Hutchinson number one to the Jaguars, and multiple people around the league were like, that's not a Trent Balke player. Not that he's not a great player, but Trent Balke likes these huge physical specimens and has always done that since he was in San Francisco. So I said, so who is that guy? And all my sources were like, oh, it's Trayvon Walker, Trayvon Walker. So I've been having Trayvon Walker going first in my last two mock drafts to some rolled eyes and to some skepticism. Now the pendulum has swung so far <laughs> the other way that I believe Vegas has Trayvon Walker as the number one guy, and now I'm wondering, okay, if it's not Aiden and it's not Trayvon, like, could it just be Evan Neal or Icky? That is how up in the air this is. I wouldn't be shocked if we woke up on Friday morning and Evan Neal was the first overall pick. We're like, well, no one had that in the mock draft. That's how up in the air that top pick is and why the rest of the draft is kind of in flux. Last year, we knew Trevor Lawrence. The year before that, we knew Joe Burrow. The year before that, I knew it was going to be Kyler Murray the second Cliff Kingsbury got hired. This year, it's wide open, and Donkey has such a history of taking these big swing players. He took 
Let's go through it. I mean, it, it, he took Anthony Davis out of Rutgers, who was a local product, yep. over Brian Bulaga, who was like all world. You know, he took Alden Smith over JJ Watt and Robert Quinn. Like Trayvon Walker is a freak physically. But he only had nine sacks in college. If you put that up against Aiden Hutchinson, who was, by all accounts, the most dominant defensive player in college football last year. Um, right now, I think it's Walker. But gosh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's any of those four players, including Icky Aiden and Evan Neal. You know, it's pretty crazy because I think if, if he goes Walker at, for Jacksonville, I think Hutchinson goes to Detroit and then things are kind of, order is restored per se. But then if he goes one of the linemen, either Icky or Evan Neal, I think that throws the entire top five and even top ten into, you know, some, I don't want to say turmoil, but draft night, we didn't see this coming. Now all of a sudden we have to adjust. Let's go local. The idea that the Giants and the Jets control four of the top ten picks is pretty wild uh, from my perspective. I know you love it too. Uh, do you think for the Jets at four that this whole idea of it's Salah's guy, whether he's going to go Thibodeau or Sauce, or is this a situation where Joe Douglas is going to kind of look over and say you can never have too many offensive linemen at this point? Because to me, that's how I assess the Jets, the Jets spot. Yeah, I'm pretty plugged in with those guys. And I'll tell you, as of Monday... They, their board is not set yet, and to the point where if it were, you know, texting people in the Jets organizations, okay, hypothetically, if it's Sauce or Thibodeau, who you take? Like, we don't know yet. And I, I think Joe Douglas will be the one making the ultimate de- de- decision. And I don't think it's a no-brainer that just because Salah had all those defensive linemen in Buckner and Bosa and Armstead and DJ Jones out in, in San Francisco that he automatically prefers defensive line over defensive backs. Now, remember, he was in Seattle with the Legion of Boom. He knows the quality of those types of players. Um, it's funny I mentioned Seattle because Thibodeau has this rub that he's not a team guy or that he's right. into the wrong things. We've seen we've seen quotes on Thibodeau talking about how no coach can help me because I'm not, you know, I've also heard him say he went to Oregon over Alabama because he doesn't care about national championships. He cares about the brand of Nike. And that stuff rubs a lot of people wrong. I've spoken to people who have met with Thibodeau, and the, the best thing I heard was this past weekend. Someone came out and said, you know, Thibodeau reminds me a little of Richard Sherman, where that personality, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but he is smart. He is, he is aware, and he's vocal. So that's what you're getting with Thibodeau. Nothing criminal, nothing off the field. You're getting a guy who is self-aware, who... Uh, maybe doesn't sound self-aware, but kind of knows his place and moment in time. He's into NFTs, non-fungible tokens. He uh, has spoken widely about his... Again, if you're talking about the fan who has uh, you know, been going to Giant Stadium since 1970 and has been sitting there through Pissar and the rest, you start talking about NFTs, you want to roll your eyes. But that's kind of where we're at in 2022. So the Jets at fourth overall... I, I think it could be a combination of either Thibodeau, Sauce, or one of the offensive tackles. And when, and when you roll your eyes and say, okay, great, so you're saying the same thing about every team, kind of where we're at in this draft class. And remember, Joe Douglas drafted Barrett uh, Tucker last year in the first round, drafted Beckton in the first round two years ago, an offensive tackle himself, and they've got a pretty big investment 
is Zach Wilson, the number two overall pick, who's a quarterback. So if they love Icky O'Neal, I think they can go off the board at four. But I would lean towards defense in this one. I think it's going to be Saucer Thibodeau at four. I would tend to agree with you. I think it's also funny too, Shags, at this time of year where you know you have you have your national pool of reporters, and you know you can stack that up in terms of who's getting information from where, and then you have the beat reporters who are getting information and trying to fight for fight for crumbs, as I joked about it on Twitter. And it's just so funny because I think the the audience believes that we're all getting the information from the same spot. And I don't think people realize the amount of quote-unquote sources that are out there that we're just trying to hang on to. Like you said, you know, you're not a guy who is, you know, spending time, wasting time talking to, you know, the agent third removed from a player. You know, you're calling the organization, so you're kind of... You personally, from what I've seen, and I, I mean that as a compliment, you're dealing with organizations and putting the information out there with also, you know, a cautionary tale of, look, this is what I'm hearing, but there's also the idea that, you know, we might not be hearing the other half of the story that can kind of put things yeah. into context. So that uh, brings me well, to the Giants. Here's my take on it. Here's my take on that whole thing. Okay. Um, I'll give you this, 99% of my sources are with teams, and, you know, last year, it's very clear if you follow me and you've known me for years, like, John Lynch was my broadcast partner at Fox. I was his sideline reporter uh, when he was in the booth for many years, and then Kyle Shanahan and I, I think friends, whatever you want to call it, but we've, we've known each other for a decade and talk off and all this stuff, so I said the morning of the draft, I think it's down to Trey Lance and Mac Jones. I'll go with Mac Jones. It was wrong. So, like, even that case where right. you know, Lynch and I are, I consider him a dear friend, and Kyle I talked to, he doesn't talk to a lot of media guys, even that one I was wrong. So, you got to understand, it's not egg on my face at all, and I don't have any resentment towards those guys. There was no, there was no consensus when I, when I went with that, but I took a shot and said that one. Now, in recent years, I've had Giants picks right. I had Eric Flowers right. I've had... Uh, a couple others in recent years that we can go through, but I'll tell you this. I thought I had a pretty good read on the room a couple of years ago. I didn't have Andrew Thomas as the fourth overall pick. Hell, I had three other linemen going before Andrew Thomas, so I am wrong a lot, and the only times I'll go to the agents for things, because a lot of times they're blowing smoke, and it's, it's my guy's the best, here's what he's got to do. It does you no good, but, you know. But here's why I'll go to the agent. I'll reach out to an agent, say, uh, in this case, you got Mike McCarthy, not the coach of the, um, the yeah. Cowboys, but Mike McCarthy is the agent of Aiden Hutchinson, all right? And I haven't had this conversation with him yet, though. But I'll go to Mike and I'll say, did, did Jacksonville tell you that they're, they're, they're off on Aiden, or have you heard anything differently? Because he'll give it to me straight. I've known him for years. And if he says to me, I haven't heard anything of that, and Aiden had a great meeting with the Jaguars, but I don't need to believe all the other stuff. Like, the agent doesn't have it in his best interest to say, Yes, Aiden Hutchinson's going first overall. If he doesn't, that doesn't serve the client well, and it certainly doesn't sell the narrative. So right. it's all that kind of stuff. You got to know who represents who and what they have to gain. But I'll be wrong a lot on Thursday with the final mock draft. But I will tell you this: 
what, what I say, it comes from good sources, and I'm doing my best to narrow it down. A hundred percent, I completely agree with everything that you put out there. And that, you know, look, <laughs> if you're reading mock drafts because you think that you're going to put a percentage together at the end of the day, uh, you're probably reading them wrong. Uh, you know, the one thing about the sources that I think people miss, you know, mistake, is that the best sources to me are the ones that watch your back. And if you say something or report something so outlandish that is off and someone gave you bad information, to me, the best source has always been the one that drops you an email then or drops you a text and says, hey, revisit that one that or so, something to that effect. That so, And I think, I think that's kind of where we get lost in this whole thing. Everybody wants information. Everybody wants to enjoy where we're going. So, look, I've delayed it long enough. We're at five. Giants are on the clock. Joe Shane is making his first draft. I thought it was great last week about how he said he usually spends draft the first draft day playing golf and would be too tense and too intense to play golf this year. I know you mentioned Charles Cross in your last draft, gave it to them. Here's what I've been told, or at least my perception. Giants like Charles Cross. They have no qualms about selecting Charles Cross. But that does not mean that Charles Cross is the number one offensive lineman on their board. And that's where I'm coming from three days from the draft. After you put Charles Cross on the Giants, I'm sure you got reaction what are you thinking right now at five with Shane and what they're going to do as far as O-line, edge, corner? What are you thinking? All right. I think they're definitely making the pick at five. That's a little start because I think you'll hear in the next 48 hours a lot more of this that the Giants might be one of those teams pressing hard to trade out of the top ten. I think that might be with the seventh pick. With the fifth pick, I think they're taking a player here. I gave them Charles Cross. I know the Giants like Charles Cross. I know they met with Charles Cross. I know they feel very comfortable that Charles Cross could play the right side or the left side. Um, to your point, Evan Neal sitting there at five, and they expected him to be off the board at three, it might be Evan Neal. If Icky's sitting there at five, and they expected him to be gone at three, it might be Icky. So I do think those three offensive linemen, to me, to the Giants, make a lot of sense. None of them are truly a right tackle. And you're like, well, we already got Andrew Thomas at left. Well, you could be taught how to play right tackle. And if you're a guy like Charles Cross, who played over 1,200 snaps in pass protection, the hope is that that kind of skill can translate to the right side as well. Um, Evan Neal is the more versatile player. He's played all three positions, left tackle, right tackle, and at the guard spot. And then you've got Icky, who everyone just absolutely adores when they meet him and he can play either tackle or guard. So really can't go wrong there. You could figure it out with Andrew Thomas, obviously playing one of those tackle spots and this guy playing the other one. Um, the wild card is if they were to say, you know what, screw it, we got Wink Martindale runs a very unique offense where it's basically blitz 10 guys every down. We need a defensive back, whether it be Sauce, Stingley, or Kyle Hamilton. That might be the most important thing. Or we need a pass rusher. We need that alpha dog, and Thibodeau is the guy. So... Big, big range of possibilities, but when I went with Charles Cross fifth overall, that wasn't anywhere. That was last week, and I got a lot of blowback, and now you're seeing a lot more Charles Cross to the Giants. I don't think it's because people are, are following what I'm saying. I think that there's a knowledge around the NFL 
that the Giants are hot on Charles Cross, and that could very well be the fifth pick overall. Yep, and I'll share with the audience the way it goes is that Schrags puts his mock up, Charles Cross is fifth, and then everybody else calls around the league asking if this is legitimate. Is that just Charles Cross have a chance to go fifth? And then you start getting confirmations of everything that Peter reported that, yes, Charles Cross is in the conversation at number five or in the top ten for the Giants wherever they end up. And that's the way this cycle goes. And we go round and round and round about, you know, who's right, who's wrong. And it's sometimes it's not about being right and being wrong. It's about having good information. And I, I can certainly verify that Charles Cross is somebody that the Giants are interested and will have high on their board uh, for an offensive lineman. Let me ask you this. How much how many games are being played between Carolina, the Giants, and any other of those teams like a Seattle at nine? Uh, do we buy into these next 72 hours that these teams are all gonna try to I don't want to say fool, but I guess it is buy someone to, to get someone to buy into fool's gold that they're not going to take a certain player especially with the rare occurrence where the Giants are picking 5 and 7 and Carolina and Scott Fitter are smack dab right in the middle uh, of those two picks. Yeah, and it's a great question because here's where we're at. Like, I put Charles Cross there last week and a lot of people are like, oh, you're getting lied to by someone in the building or it's a smoke screen. I'm like, that does the Giants no good. Having Charles Cross listed as it, the only thing it could do is it would be to whet the appetite for the fans so that when it does happen, they're not like, what the heck, who's Charles Cross? They've been hearing about him for a week. That's the only thing putting Charles Cross at five could do for the benefit of the New York Giants if I were to get it from those guys, right? Right. Now, if you were truly being uh, someone who wanted to, to manipulate a reporter or manipulate the draft process, someone there would lie to me and would say, we love Malik Willis. We love Willis so much, we're willing to draft Malik Willis fifth overall which would then cause a quarterback-hungry team that might be sitting at six or nine or maybe even in the 16 or 19 spot with the Saints or the 15 or the 18 South Eagles say, ah, shit, the Giants like Malik Willis. We, we got to get Malik Willis. We got to trade up. We got to get in front of the Giants. So we got to move to five. We got to trade. We gotta get. That's what would be doing it right there. And I haven't gotten that from any of these teams. It's almost like you can't even lie about it. The quarterback class is so, so beleaguered right now in this draft as far as you can't even bullshit a bullshit artist. If you were to come out now and tell me, we love Kenny Pickett, I'd roll my eyes because right. I haven't heard that for 35 days leading up to this thing. So, you know, throwing out a put, it's always position. So if there's someone who wants to take, uh, you know, a, a quarterback or, or would you're not going to throw quarterback to that team. What you would do is throw another position. So I think there's some smoke screens out there, but Art, between you, me, and your listeners, who I love and I hear from on Twitter, like, these teams want to trade back. Like, six for Carolina, they don't have another pick to 137. They'd love to get a quarterback in the middle of the first round and maybe get a second rounder or a third rounder also. Um, you're hearing a lot about Seattle maybe taking a quarterback. Okay, maybe, or Seattle would love to trade back into the 20s and get the same quarterback they might want to take at nine, and they also pick up a second-round pick. So it's going to be interesting to see which teams actually can find someone to trade up. But all the smokescreen stuff, like, you got to think about the strategy. Putting Charles Cross five to the Giants, and then they don't like him at all, would do no good for the Giants at all. Right, and the idea that 
uh, six could be a spot where Carolina moves out. That's why Gi- the Giants can't get cute. I- I've had uh, a lot of fans think, well, it, you know, they treat it like their fantasy football drafts, whereas, okay, I see two guys on the board that I really like, so let me take someone here, and that guy's not going to draft my corner. You know, the problem is is that if the Giants really like Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley, and they're higher higher rated on their board than the offensive tackles. Well, if you think, oh, well, no big deal, I'm going to get sauce at seven because Carolina's not taking a corner. Well, the next thing you realize is when you turn the card in, someone trades up with Carolina, takes Sauce Gardner, and now the guy that you had maybe rated higher on your board is now sitting somewhere else in the NFL and you just got played. So I do think you're 100% right in terms of this is a move-back draft, in a sense, but I don't know if those deals are going to be there. Like, even if the Giants, let's say they trade out of seven and try to move back a little bit to try to get assets, where are you getting assets? Who's giving up a number one pick in 2023 to move up, you know, seven spots? I mean, maybe if the Steelers were so high on a quarterback that they'd move from 20 and try to do something like that. Uh, I, I don't see it, so I agree with you. Uh, tell me in what you've done, and we're getting, and believe me, I appreciate all the time you get, you've given me today, yeah, as Colin, always. Let's, we, as long as you want, we can go. Let's go another fifteen minutes. If you want? I love this. <laughs> well, that's that's awesome. Well, you tell me. Then let's look at seven. Let let's. Let's say, what what are possibilities for, for Joe Shane? I mean, it's so hard to read at this point what would be on the clock, what, what we'd be able to do. But do you have a sense of any teams that are looking to say, you know, when the Saints made that deal with the Eagles, everyone was like, oh, you know, that that's because they're going to take those two picks now and move all, all the way up. Do you get a sense that there's anyone looking to move into the top ten? Or is it almost a... Hey, I like that guy. That guy's sitting at seven. We didn't think he'd be there. Let me make a little bit of a move. Throw some, throw some assets at, at Joe Shane and see if I can steal that pick and get that guy. No, I don't. And here's the here's the thing that's interesting. I've heard a lot over the last few days that top ten is good. The teams though are just kind of as good as the top ten, and then the twenties are a little tier below that. And then there's a lot of depth to the sixties and like. I hear that, it's like, wait, what? last year in the top 10, and, you know, I'd say this with understanding the Giants traded out at 11 or wherever they were, yep. and they got another first-rounder this year, but, like, come up, last year in the draft, you had Rashawn Slater slip to 13, you had Micah Parsons slip, slip to wherever he went, 12, and it's like, those guys would be the first pick in the draft right now. Today, Sewell would be the first pick in this year's draft. Uh, you know, the five quarterbacks, all five of those quarterbacks, would be the best quarterback in this draft. Even Najee Harris is better than every running back in this draft. So it's like, this isn't the same draft at the top, but they say it's really deep. So you still might get two quality guys. If those were all five-star guys last year, you might be able to get two four-star guys at five and seven. Or if you're the Saints, you might get a a four-star guy at, at 16 and 19. So I don't know if teams are packaging those deals for any of these prospects. Like, the Saints made a very peculiar trade. They traded next year's first-round pick to get a pick in the mid-teens this year. And it's like, what is that? Well, they might say, we're looking at our draft board, there's 20 good players, top 20, that we all would feel comfortable about. Let's get two of them. Let's get two of them, and next year we'll roll the dice. We don't expect ourselves to be, you know, in the top five of the draft. Might as well get two players this year. So 
I don't see teams trading up into the top ten. I know a lot of teams want to trade back, um, but it's one of those deals where they might have to sacrifice the trade value chart. Like, if the Giants want to trade out at seven, hypothetically, and a team says, all right, we'll give, we'll, let's just pick a team. Let's say it's Green Bay. We'll give you the 22nd this year and our second-round pick and next year's second-round pick. Giants might have to consider that. And the trade value chart would say you never trade a top-seven pick for the 22 and two day-two picks next year. But it's one of those where it's like, gosh, you know what? We can still get a guy at 22 we like. The difference is not that big at seven. And next year we get out of even more depth. Yeah. Um, it might be one of those deals where the compensation isn't what it used to be, but teams are not enamored with any of these top ten picks that they might be willing to sacrifice that. Yeah, and I think Joe Shane is – go to be creative, or at least he's going to try to be creative. You've got that that chip right there with James Bradbury with the Giants, and the, the league waiting out Bradbury, and will the Giants cut him, and uh, and then they could just sign him to a new deal if they sign him, and they don't have to take that contract. I could see Joe Shane be trying to be creative and saying, you know what? We'll move back. We'll give you the seven. You know, Brett Veach in Kansas City, you want to move all the way up? And get Jamison Williams at wide receiver. We'll we'll do that deal. I'll take I'll take a couple of your second rounders and move back. But you got to take Bradbury from us and take his entire contract. We're not gonna pay and make you take half or any of the deals that we've been talking about. Take Bradbury in the seven and get that contract off the books for the Giants. Other than you know obviously the dead money, and that might be enticing for the Giants to try to get that done move back, and maybe, you know, not for anything. I think the picks at the top of the second round, the Giants' fourth the, the Giants fourth pick overall in the second round, that Friday, you know, I was talking to Mike Tannenbaum last week for, for the show, and he brought up the idea about how when it was his first draft in 2006, obviously they ended up getting Mangold and Dipper Rickershaw Ferguson and all that stuff. But he said it's different now because it was Saturday and you don't have that time in between rounds. Now with the second and third rounds coming on Friday, you've created an an entire day. I mean, you're going to be in Vegas and it's going to be, you know, six o'clock Vegas time. And all of a sudden you're, you're going to be heading on, you know, you're going to be halfway through good morning football and everybody's going to be talking about, whoa, look, could you believe that Tyler Lindemann is available? Someone's going to make a pick. You know, Jacksonville sitting there saying, boy, we can get a starting center here. So I think if you're Joe Shane, I think you look at that creativity and say, you know what? I'm not worried about what people are thinking about the, the draft charts and the trade charts and everything else. If I want to trade seven, I'm going to trade seven to do the best thing that I can do for this roster. And you know what? If a team wants to give me two second round picks and a two next year, I might think about dealing that seven away and maybe a player. There might be. Let's let's go through the scenario. Okay. So say it's Kansas city who has never been scared to trade. They have a ton of cap space now for the Tyree. For your listeners, for you, say Kansas city offers the 30th overall and next year's second. For the seventh and Bradbury, what's the response? You know, you know what? It'd be very interesting. For me, I'd say you really have to entertain it. Uh, I think I might try to squeeze another pick out of Kansas City yeah. this year. 
not next year. I, you know, look, when you're dealing with the Chiefs, I mean, and that's the other thing, Peter. Everybody falls in love with, oh, it's a number one, it's a number one. Yeah, but not all number ones are created the same. You know, it's it's one of those things where if you're, I've got to consider that the Chiefs are picking probably no higher than, let's just say, for sake of argument, 28, right? Next year? You're right. I mean, let's say 28. So, who knows? So, I'm. Whatever. They're not going to fall. They're not 8 and 8 next year. They're 8 and 9. Right, right. So, so, you know what? If I'm Joe Shane, I may try to squeeze a a three out of them as well and say, you know what? Okay, I can do that. Or maybe I would want a two this year rather than a two next year from Kansas City. I think they got a couple of them in the in the second round. I don't have the the chart in front of me. But I might also look at uh, Brett Veach and say, you know what? What do you. What do you got on your roster? You're assessing your roster. You have any players that that you guys are going to be looking to say, you know what, they're going to be on the bubble. Maybe we'll be dealing them down the road. You know, Gi- Giants have no depth at at safety. Their their corner depth is very young and inexperienced. You know, I know that doesn't really match up with Kansas City, but maybe on the offensive uh, side of the look, look, look. Juan Thornhill's a young safety who teams are high on. He didn't have the same year last year. You could go through. Andrew Wyatt is a free agent, I believe, next year for Kansas. Yep. He's a tackle, maybe on a one-year lease. Like, I, it's sick that I know every team's roster inside and out. But well, like, it's impressive. Types of things that are, no, but these are the types of things that you do. So they say, okay, let's throw an Andrew Wyatt in the deal. All right, he's starting tackle for the Giants next year. You know, like, that's a starting player, and he's been in the league for a long time, and that's a good, right. good guy to get. I think those are the conversations that are happening. We just talked about Kansas City, but I assure you, Joe Shane has every different team in that back half of the draft, has their entire depth chart known and knows their contract statuses, knows when they're going to be up for free agency. Um, I think it's captivating. Now, look, here's one thing I would tell all your listeners. Wink Martindale is not going to be the loudest voice in the room. You've got a head coach, you've got a whole front office, you've got a first-year GM. But let me tell you something. Wink Martindale will be banging down every door to get either Sauce or Kyle Hamilton based on the way his defense works. Like I'm saying, it's send everybody, and then you rely on having those safeties and those corners hold down the fort. So, you know, a Marlon Humphrey was so important for Wink Martindale out there in Baltimore. And Marcus Peters was so important because of what those guys can do. Sauce, Stingley, Kyle Hamilton, if they are going to make a pick at seven, would not be shocked if instead of pass rusher, it might be one of those guys at seven overall. I, I completely agree with you. I think the corner has more value right now uh, for the Giants than the pass rusher. And that sounds silly, but it, it, it's they ha- they are going to have a hole when Bradbury is not on this team. Again, and it's not about Bradbury's talent. And, you know, I, I think Wink Martindale would make it work, you know, to, to say, you know, well, he's not really my guy. He doesn't necessarily play with length, uh, but... You know, we'll 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 deal with just having Bradbury, but the contract just makes it too much sense. That the fact that there's no flexibility, you'd have to extend Bradbury in order to be able to lower that cap number. But I, I think that's great. Let let me let me tap into your overall love of the draft. Give me give me two players, three players maybe that you would jump on the table and say we gotta have this guy. This is my favorite guy in the draft. I'd love to have him on my favorite team. All right. It's funny you asked me that because I, 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 I've been saying this guy's name a lot. I think Evan Neal is such a quality pro player. Like 40 different starts at Alabama 
played three different positions, missed one game, you know, just because of COVID that he had to miss that game. Reliable, does it all, and like I got to meet with, meet with him for Good Morning Football, and not that the other guys aren't, but it's just like, all right, this guy's polished. He's been working with Duke Mayweather, which a lot of these guys do, but like comes in and it's like, okay, this guy knows exactly what he can do day one. So that's my day one guy. My freak show that I love is, is, is Derek Stingley. I think this guy coming off the injury is the question, but I remember him that freshman year. He was unbelievable at corner. I like Stingley more than Sauce just because of the untapped potential of what Stingley showed us that first year before the injury. And then there's, there's always going to be that guy who I'm just going to put out there, but like, again, biased because we met him on the show, we had him on the show, and I got to know this guy. Desmond Ritter, the quarterback out of Cincinnati, it's hard not to fall in love with anyone who had 44 career wins in college, third most all-time, has a competitive spirit, and then I'm very tight with all of the Jets staff, and they said at Senior Bowl, it's not even a question who like the Pied Piper of that team was um, when they had all the different talented seniors. Like Desmond Ritter was the man amongst men. And when I hear quarterback, and there's nothing against Daniel Jones, because maybe he's that guy in that building, like, that's almost the first quality I want. So Desmond Ritter is a name that I have circled 100 times. He might not even go first round, but I'm telling you, no matter what team that guy goes to, he will be competitive for that starting job. He will compete for that starting job. And by the end of the season, I bet you Desmond Ritter starting a quarterback for one of these NFL teams. It's interesting, and it goes back to what we talked about the in the top ten about teams wanting to move back, move up. Team, they, there may be teams that just look at Desmond Ritter and say, you know what, he's as close on our board and maybe even higher to what we need at quarterback than any of the guys that we would have to draft up into the top ten for. Let's just stay patient, stay in the back end, and when Desmond Ritter's there, we pounce and not even think twice about it and just move forward and say, this is a, this is going to be our guy. He's going to develop into our guy. Uh, you know, a team like Pittsburgh, you know, you look at, you have Trubisky for a year and then you, you move on and see if, if Ritter can, you know, and I, I, I'm just making that off the top of my head. I don't even know if they're linked, but that kind of scenario, you know, if you're Detroit and you're sitting there late in the first round, why would you make go crazy over a quarterback in the top five when if you can get a guy like Desmond Ritter uh, late in the first, early in the second, and then all of a sudden, you know, Goff plays the next year and then Ritter's ready to take over. So I completely agree. Love that. Evan Neal's my guy for the Giants at, at five. If if they're lucky enough to see him sitting there, I run the card up. Uh, I think exactly for all the reasons you said. Uh, the, the funny thing about Shane and Dable is that the phrase that they've said is smart, tough, dependable. Smart, tough, dependable. That's what they want in Giants players right now. And the first word that jumped out when Evan Neal was on with you guys on Good Morning Football was I, it was, I am dependable. And that's all I thought about. And ever since, I've looked at that and I said, there's no question in my mind that if Evan Neal's on the board, the Giants snag him at five. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what sings to you about he's almost like he was filling in the, the chart, knowing what to say and how it could be said for Giants fans to perk their ears up. Look, Giants get Evan Neal at five. They now have Andrew Thomas, a fourth overall pick, and Evan Neal, a fifth overall pick, both from SEC powerhouses, both starting at tackle. If those guys fall on their face and it doesn't work out, well, hey, I don't know what to tell you. Like Those guys usually don't when you come out of Georgia and Alabama and are entirely guarded than they are. All right, last thing, if you're making the call, well, first off, do you have a final mock drop dropping on Thursday? Is that when you're going to do it? I got to do it, yeah. 
Thursday morning, but at this point, it's like pin the tail on the donkey. I have no idea. I mean, if Jacksonville goes with offensive tackle, first overall, it sets the whole thing into a whirlwind. So, uh, at this point, this year is not the year for accuracy points. So I'll just say that. <laughs> well, if you if you had a guess today, who do you think ends up at five for the Giants? Okay, I would think uh, the Giants with the fifth overall pick will get. Uh, I'm going to go Charles Cross. I'm going to stick with my picks that I had last week. I think one of the two, Icky or Evan Neal, goes off already, and I think it's going to be Charles Cross versus potentially Icky Aquanu or Evan Neal, and I think Giants just go with Charles Cross. And, uh, it could be wrong. Maybe it's Evan Neal. I do think offensive tackle makes sense in this situation. Um, and then at seven, I think the Giants are going to look for a trade partner and trade back. And if they don't, I would look at Sauce, Stingley, or Hamilton. Gotcha. Peter Schrager, where's everybody going to find you this week other than uh, my favorite show on television, other than This Is Us, uh, Good Morning Football? Well, I appreciate the Sterling K. Brown, Mandy Moore uh, show, This Is Us, which I have never seen an episode of. (laughs) You're missing out, man. Missing out. Oh, I'm sure. I never need to cry more in my life. Um, (laughs) Here we go. This is uh, just what you need now in 2022 with the world melting. We need more crying shows. Um, <laughs> sorry, your dear This Is Us has been uh, it's in its final season, if not already. But we're back to the This Is Us between you and me. Right. Um, I'm going to be on Good Morning Football every morning, Wednesday through Friday at Las Vegas uh, atop the Cosmo Hotel or one of these hotels. I'm not even sure which one. From Get This. Yes, folks, 4 a.m. Pacific time to 7 a.m. Pacific time, but it's 7 to 10 on the East Coast. And then I'm doing double duty. I'm working at night on the actual draft coverage, um, which is going to be Thursday and Friday. But then my, my favorite day, and the one that I ask all your listeners to tune into, choose us over ESPN. Saturday, I'm at the main desk. It's Daniel Jeremiah, Rich Eyes, and myself, and all-around good guy Charles Davis. We're at the main desk for six hours in the baking sun of Vegas, but choose us for your day three coverage. We go in depth and we know all the prospects inside and out NFL network. If you got it on your cable dial, I will be in the giants media workroom and we will have Peter Schrager, DJ and the rest on there. And that's, what's so crazy is that, uh, you guys, even though you treat day three as, as still the show, you're able to get into the details of who this guy, the Giants, just picked in the fourth round and why is that guy going to have an impact on this roster. Uh, and that's why you listen to to Schrags and those guys in NFL Network on Saturday. Well, Peter Schrager, yeah. as always. I was, I was just going to wrap up real quick on that. Day three, why I think it's so important to have NFL Network. It's like we give those players each one a breakdown. I think um, – on ESPN, they do as well, but I feel like, you know, every single day since February, Daniel Jeremiah has been hosting a show called Path to the Draft. You know, it's all thousand prospects that could be drafted, where they went to school, what they do, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to give you why the Giants took their fourth-round pick, to what you said, why they took their fifth-round pick, and I'll be on the phones, obviously, speaking with them and, and all the teams and getting you those answers in real time and getting you guys excited. So please tune into NFL Network. Well, Peter Schrager, as always, uh, and for Peter Schrager, I'm going to close the show right here. I can't say anything more about Peter, and I'm sure he'll be on again after he maybe takes a little bit of a nap after the after the draft. Uh, but for Peter Schrager, I'm Art Stapleton. You're all in. We're all in. We appreciate you listening to this week's show, and we'll be back all throughout the draft with updates. Take care.